Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent, who dreams for their child, and every child who dreams for their future. I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you, and good night. I love you.
What a song. What a song. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Thank you for tuning into the Rory Sauter Show. I'm Rory Sauter, your host. It is great to be back with all of you. I have missed you all since yesterday. Uh, we had a fantastic show yesterday. Amazing dialogue, great flow, perfect rhythm, uh, wonderful guests, uh, everything you could ask for in a show. So many things addressed. And uh, I can't thank all of you enough. Uh, like I do every episode, I want to thank all my guests, my co-hosts, my audience and sponsors. You guys are all incredible. Uh, the show is now listened to in 25 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, past episodes, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, visit my media site, the next, N-E-X, Gen, G-E-N-U-S-A.com. Also remember, in about a month, I will be releasing uh, that brand new 24-7 network that I've been talking about. Uh, me and a couple other business partners are putting this deal together, and we will be having many notable people doing their own shows on the network. Like I said, we have about 80 to 85% of all the slots already filled up. And also remember, we will be having America's toughest sheriff, Joe Arpaio, my good friend, and also a director of Jihad Watch, Robert Spencer, as the two main faces of the network. So, and as everybody knows, those guys have billions of followers, so we're very excited uh, to bring them aboard. Uh, a lot, a lot has happened in the media today. We have a lot to get into uh, tonight. Uh, I do want to welcome to the show uh, founder of Republicans United, founder of College Republicans United, and currently the leader of Nationalists United, currently the leader of Nationalists United, Kevin Kuiper. Kevin, how are you? I'm doing very well. I'm so glad to be here, and I'm looking forward to another great show. Thanks, man. Well, great to have you here. Um, I also would like to welcome, I believe we have Mark from Ohio on the line. Mark, how are you? I'm doing great. Glad to be back, Dilly. It's been a absolutely, my friend. crazy day, good, good crazy day in the news. Great. Oh, absolutely. A lot to get into for sure. Um, I'd also, yeah. uh, I believe, do we have Eddie from Texas on the line? Yep, I'm here. Eddie, great to have you here. Uh, welcome to the show, your first time on. Glad you be, could be a part of the panel. Thanks. So, so everybody, I want to, I want to get into the opening segment. And, you know, this is, this is affecting everybody, um, what, 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 what I'm about to talk about. Very serious matter. Uh, this whole situation with Google, you know, we have, well, actually, 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 I'm going to get into the whole Google topic in a little bit. I, what I want to start with is because the, the, the opening segment, what I want to start with, obviously, there's a lot more, uh, there's, there's a lot more to it that I want to discuss, but, so I will get into the Google stuff later. Um, but let's get into this whole Democrat circus. I mean, like I've said on the show so many times, these people running and their voters are as un-American, as anti-American, and as, you know, just, just as ignorant, as selfish, as delusional as can be. These people have no, they have nothing to run on. All they're doing is getting their sheep all wound up with, with promising them free stuff, you know, Free health care, free college, 
Wipe away all the student debt. Except there's a problem. It's not free. This comes out of taxpayers' money. It'll cost taxpayers billions and trillions of dollars. And, and their, their voters don't care. The voters are like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, let, let's have all this socialism. You know, the, the rich man and the white man, they owe me all this. You know, they're out there being selfish in this country. They owe us this. They got to give it all to us. The sense of entitlement and the, the selfishness and the, the ignorance and the brainwashing that is coming from the left, I, I, you know what? I knew they were always crazy, and I knew that they were always out of their minds. But at least at one point in time, they were they had some sort of substance. You know, now it's just it's just craziness. Like there's no policy. It's it's just complete rhetoric. It's fantasy land ideology. It's communism. You know, and and it it doesn't end. These people want to take our country back a hundred years. Let's see what they want to do. Open borders. Give illegal aliens health care and housing. Tax the middle class. That's what they're planning. Tax the hell out of the middle class. You know, let's talk about a slavery reparation. Dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard in my entire life. They they want to generalize and put blacks in boxes, and, and they want to, you know, they want to try and, you know, talk for every single minority, which is racist in, racist in itself. I mean, they, they want to speak for the Latino community. They want to speak for the black community. They want to speak for all these people. You know, this, this is just, it's, it's complete insanity. And, you know, we have the entire women's card being pulled, you know, the, the whole feminism bullshit. I mean, women have the lowest unemployment ever, and you still have the Democrats talking how oppressed they are, how sexist this country is. Really? Really? Because I don't, I, don't, I don't see it. Yeah, certain situations, sure, but it's not to the extent or as often as you guys say it is, the left. You guys are over the top with all of, of, your, of your presentations and what you put forth. It's insane. And this whole gun control bullshit nonsense that I keep hearing from idiots has to stop. You're not going to get rid of the millions of illegal guns on the street. It's never going to happen. You, you, think, you think criminals follow laws? No, they don't. And like I said on the show yesterday, all that gun control does is leave the, leave the good guy defenseless. And the bad guy, obviously, in charge. I mean, get a brain, people. It's over and over. There is no moderate left in the Democratic Party. It is not the JFK day. Well, JFK was a. You really want to look at what JFK was? He said he was a conservative. I mean, look at all of the conservative policies today that Trump's putting forth, and JFK would align with it. JFK would run away so fast from the communists in the Democratic Party today. Same with, you know, people like Joe Lieberman. Um, even Bill Clinton, in a sense, you know, was moderate in, in, in certain aspects when he was in office, obviously because he had a lot of Republicans around him and Newt Gingrich as the, as the Speaker of the House. But, you know, uh, I'm just saying, I mean, the, the insanity that this party has gone to and, and the whole new level 
of Twilight Zone bullshit is just it, it's it's it, it, you can't even explain it. You can't put this scenario into words of what these people are doing. And then universal health care for all. That is that's the worst idea. You want to you want to be treated like Southwest Airlines or the DMV cattle call wait around all day with you know and don't get. I mean, you're not going to get equal care. Let's face it. It's, it's BS what they're stealing. There's a reason why people pay more every month to get better health care. And because it's their right. It's their right to pay more and get, get good health coverage. It is not somebody's right to get free health care. It's a privilege to get health care. It's not a right. It never has been a right. The sense of entitlement in this country needs to stop. It's disgusting. People pay a lot of money for good insurance and that is their right. And let's face it, doctors would never go for Medicare for All. Hospitals and all these different entities would be put out of business because they would not be able to keep up with the caseload of, of this free health care nonsense. They're, the government already has a hard time enough in these places dealing with, with uh, stuff like Medicare. I mean, it's, and it's, it's, it's already backed up sometimes months, and you guys are going to try and put this nonsense forth and make it backed up for years for people? No. No, no, no. And the whole minimum wage nonsense, stop talking about it. All you do when you raise the minimum wage is you, it's very simple. All you do when you raise the minimum wage is you cause more owners and business businesses to lay people off. Because what, what's the ultimate objective from a company and business? To profit as much as possible. They want to save and gain as much money as possible. They're not, they're not going to, you know, in a moral, in a moral society, sure, I, I guess, you know, paying people, you know, a, a nice check is, 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 is obviously the kind-hearted thing to do. But we don't live, that's not the kind of society we live in. We live in the truth. We live, you know, we live in the no sugarcoating world. You know, we're, we're not going to, we're not, I'm not going to lie to you. And neither is any other business owner. Ask any business owner, and they'll tell you that, they want, that their goal is obviously to hire as little people as possible, especially if the minimum wage is raising, and for them to profit and gain as much as possible. So, you know, this isn't, this isn't rocket science. You know, you, you can't have this sort of dic- dictatorship and, and, you know, authority and power over these businesses and not expect them to respond by laying people off. They're not going to abide by $15 an hour. You are insane. Look at New York City right now. They are struggling. They are letting people go because they can't handle all of all of, they can't handle all these people and paying them all. You Democrats are running this this issue, their party and America into the ground with their policies. And the whole abortion thing at nine months. And the fact that more people on the left aren't calling that out is despicable. Be ashamed of yourself. Seriously. I want to play this clip from Tucker Carlson. He really puts this all into perspective uh, perfectly. I mean, this guy is right on it. Uh, One five.
Well, good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Gun control saves lives. That's what they're telling you day and night on CNN. In fact, they're having a town hall meeting tomorrow to tell you some more. Anyone who opposes gun control, they'll tell you, by implication of not directly, is a bad person, a callous, cruel, probably violent person, someone who doesn't care about the safety of others. Well, last night, a group of progressive activists took that very message to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's home. Here's what they said. We're at McConnell's house. This think he's about to get some rest. Not if the, kill, the children that you're kidnapping can't get any rest. Not if families who are getting murdered can't get any rest. Mitch! He's in there nursing his little broken arm. He should have broke his little raggedy, wrinkled-ass neck. Just stab the mother in the heart. Stab him in the heart. Break his neck. That's the left's message for Mitch McConnell. They're totally opposed to violence, and that's why they want to kill Mitch McConnell. If you're confused, you haven't been paying much attention lately. Almost everything the left says these days is projection. In almost every single case, they accuse you of exactly what they're doing. And this week was no different. In the wake of two horrifying mass shootings, they've been telling us the president is a hater. He's using race to divide us, they scream. It's wrong. Well, they're right about the second part. It's definitely wrong. But using race to divide us, that's a core tenet of the left. Identity politics is the process of dividing people on the basis of immutable characteristics, factors they can't control. And that's what the Democratic Party is at this point. It's an identity politics party. They promise some Americans reparations. They denounce others for their skin color. They call it privilege. The entire country, they'll tell you, is fundamentally racist and therefore evil. This country was founded on white supremacy and, and every single institution and structure that we have in our country still reflects the legacy uh, of slavery and segregation and Jim Crow um, and suppression, even in our democracy. We can't be blind to the impact of generations of racism and white supremacy that were written into our laws over centuries. So they're buffoons. Yes, they are. They're dumb, of course. Do they have any idea what they're really saying? Probably not. But that doesn't make the cumulative effect any less sinister or damaging. What you're watching, what you saw in those tapes, what you're watching every day, is a systematic effort by the left to undermine the institutions that hold this country together. Chief among those institutions, in this and all societies throughout time, is law enforcement, our justice system. Over the past 25 years, that's been a success story. America's cops have radically reduced crime across this nation. They brought our cities back to life. If you don't know that, you're obviously under 40. Ask anybody who lived in New York City in 1991 what it was like. If that person's honest, you'll be grateful for what the cops did. But now, on the basis of no evidence whatsoever, the left is telling us police are racist monsters. I have challenged our police department to recognize all of the ways in which the uniform has been burdened by racists. We're going to crack down on police brutality aimed primarily at people of color. Training for police officers on implicit racial bias and procedural justice because to deny it exists is to deny folks liberty and in many cases life. 
How can we continue to lose the lives of unarmed black men in the United States of America at the hands of white police officers? That is not justice. If you are young and black, you're treated differently because of the color of your skin. I don't believe that it's just a case of a few bad apples. I believe that the system is broken. Imagine if you were a cop, or your dad was a cop, or your son was, having to sit and watch that slander day after day. Again, on the basis of no evidence they're saying that. It's disgusting. Dividing us? Oh, yes, they're dividing us. Or how about our thousands of ICE agents working to enforce laws that the Congress passed? The Congress passes the laws and then hires people and doesn't pay them all that much to enforce their laws. Now Democrats are calling those people Nazis. Good people doing a thankless job that we need to have done, only to have some pampered moron like Ocasio-Cortez savage them for political reasons. None of this is new, by the way. Three years ago, you remember, Hillary Clinton ran an entire presidential campaign on this premise, attacking the country itself and its people as immoral bigots. You could put half of Trump's supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. That's a message of unity? No. It's a message of disunity. It's a message of hate, actually. Think through the implications of it. Racist, sexist, xenophobic. What do you do to people like that? Do you try and help them? Do you feel like they're your countrymen, your brothers? No. They're horrible. You try to destroy them, and they are trying to destroy them. Yesterday, Texas Democratic Congressman Joaquin Castro, we're not making this up, by the way, tweeted out the names of 44 residents of San Antonio who've donated to Donald Trump's presidential campaign. Illegal activity. But he tweeted them out, and then he tweeted out the names of their employers, too. Why do you think he did that? You know the answer. How'd you feel tonight if you were one of those people? Would you feel safe? No, you wouldn't. That's fine with Congressman Castro, though. His point is really clear. You know exactly why he did that. If someone gets hurt, that's not his problem. You can see where this is going. It wasn't that long ago that the Boston Globe ran an op-ed suggesting that restaurant workers poisoned the food of Trump supporters. And, of course, Democrats have been calling on people to harass and scream at people tied to the Trump administration for years, they've been saying that. Go to the Hill today. Get up and please... Get up in the face of some Congress people. If you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome. So, yes, these people are buffoons. And it's our fault sometimes, if we're being honest, including this show, for highlighting what buffoons they are. Because by doing that, we underplay how dangerous their rhetoric is. Our democratic system only works when citizens are free to disagree, free to say to their neighbors, we're on separate pages, we vote for separate people, and not be afraid to say that. But the left is making us afraid to say that. The left demands total conformity. They don't believe in diversity in any sense. They'll use censorship and threats to keep people in line. And in the short term, that may work. They're hoping it works till next November. But over time, it's a big mistake. It's exactly how things fall apart. They are absolutely insane. Um, Kevin, go ahead. Well, Tucker says it absolutely perfectly, and it really shows how uh, you have all these mainstream media outlets 
dictating themselves who they believe are the terrorists. Is it these right-wing Republicans? They consider them to be domestic terrorists. But in all truth, and we should all be saying it together, that it is the mainstream media who are the terrorists. I mean, there's a, a great quote that goes, terrorism is psychological warfare. Terrorists try to manipulate us and change our behavior, uh, behavior by creating fear, uncertainty, and division in society. And that's exactly what they're doing, dividing the country and blaming all the travesties that ever exist in America on the right wing and making a absolutely manufactured crisis out of everything and everything they possibly can and blaming it on us. So every time you see uh, a mass shooting take place, it is because of Donald Trump. You know, they never blamed any of these shootings on Obama, on Sanders, or any of these absolutely radical Democrats that uh, adhere to communistic-style beliefs. No, they don't don't blame anyone besides Donald Trump, and uh, it's absolutely a false narrative to to say so. Um, And uh, the right is absolutely getting uh, slaughtered in this category, too, because uh, right after this recent mass shooting, not only did we have this absolute change in the public narrative from how much of a terrible showing that the Democrats had and how radical their beliefs really are uh, after the Democratic debates, but um, we're not talking about the Democratic debates. Well, we are, but most America is not talking about the Democratic debates anymore. They're talking about right-wing terrorism, and uh, it's uh, a travesty as well because there's this site called 8chan that was recently taken down. Uh, absolutely uh, taken off any server, and it doesn't exist anymore as a response to this mass shooting. And if you wonder what 8chan is, it's a a centralized kind of a public forum site where it's mostly right-wing political content that's displayed for for what's going on politically. And uh, you say, well, what's so special about it? Well, it was during Donald Trump's candidacy that this was one of the main disseminators of information of the WikiLeaks uh, findings against Hillary Clinton and that whole team. And ever since then, it became hugely, widely popular, finding out about what the Democrats um, and absolute corrupt figures have been doing. And uh, the media constantly bashes the site uh, for being you know, conspiracy and right-wing terrorism, but uh, it's, it's really the truth. Is, the truth has been getting out, and now it's becoming harder and harder to get to the truth. We have Google that is censoring any opinion they possibly can, and the manipulation is, is very widespread. So uh, overall, We have to uh, remember that if the mass media are the terrorists, well, what is America going to do about these terrorists? Exactly. Oh, you're you're exactly right. Uh, Mark from Ohio, go ahead. Well, I tell you, this is uh, all about their uh, right now their white nationalist supremacy, uh, racist uh, attack on Trump and his followers. Too, you know, uh, gun owners and the proponents of the Second Amendment are now their uh, target of choice, and they're going to make this a platform issue, plain and simple. Uh, this has changed the issues that they were uh, touting before during the debates that apparently weren't going to fly, and I think they figured that out, so they put them on the back burner, and now they're going to profiteer off of this uh, uh tragedy, the one that happened in El Paso and the one that happened up in Dayton, 
And uh, I think that assault weapons are just the first step, especially in their push towards socialism and communism. Um, what they don't seem to understand about communism is, you know, they'd be happy about what they do to conservatives if, if they was to ever push it through, which they won't. Um, is going to eventually happen to them. You know, communism is a machine, and it runs on the people. You know, it eats up the people is what I mean to say. So they may take us down, but eventually it's going to take them down just as much. They can they can grind us down to where we're poor and they're slaves, but eventually they're going to be slaves just like us because it's going to need the people to support those elite. So, um, you know, it all, it all boils down to that – if they don't get off of this track, Trump's going to win, I think. Right. I mean, it's it's a you know it's they're they're on a they're on a, a bad uh, you know road. I mean, they're they're really sinking the, sinking themselves. Uh, how far how far is Dayton from you in Ohio? That's uh, about a twenty eight about twenty eight minute drive. Oh, not bad at all. Okay, so you're right, you're right there then. You you were like right down the street. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thrilling. Yeah. Uh, let, I know exactly. Eddie, Eddie, I know exactly where it happened. Oh, well, what were you? What were, yep. you, what were you saying? Sorry, sorry, Mark. What were you saying? I know exactly where it happened. We've been up there in that area before. Oh yeah, yeah. Damn, damn. Um, Eddie, go ahead. Yeah. Well, first off, um, uh, thank you guys for inviting me over to the show. Uh, I appreciate that. It's my first time to the show. But um, from Texas and from Laredo, which is or El Paso, which is eight hours from here in Laredo, um, yeah. when, it, when it comes to the mainstream media, um, they're just there to make sound bites, money, and they just want to divide America in a sense that, I mean – for some reason, they want to put they want to scapegoat Trump, Republicans, and RA. I mean, let's be honest. Last year, during that whole Parkland shooting, we all know what happened. That the mainstream media, celebrities, everybody wanted to blame the NRA that they had blood on their hands. The problem is, the NRA didn't fund these terrorists and all these things. And of course, like me, I disavow this person, this foul human being who just shot up. The- Point two people in, in El Paso. Now, right. of course, what Democrats really don't want to get to the root of the problem is just they don't want to get into the whole mental health aspect. They don't want to get to the whole, well, what was this kid up to? What was this uh, 21-year-old uh, Patrick Cruz's um, up to, really? I mean, I, I think with Nicholas Cruz and Patrick Cruz's, um, what they both have in common, and I think the Santa face shooter it's probably because of the fact that they have um, they've been they've been raised without fathers, and of course the whole um, the medicines, the drugs that they get fed on by their mothers. Um, it, it it's just so common that I mean it's like why are the Democrats not looking to that aspect? But why do they have to blame on guns? Why do they have to blame on objects? I mean let's for, forget about the objects. Forget about the, the Republicans. They didn't they weren't responsible for all this. They weren't. But that's the media. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're absolutely right. 
And, and let's, let's face it, guns don't kill people. People kill people. And you're absolutely right. And, you know, what I find upsetting is that the media wants to blame Trump for this. And, yeah, there was one, there were, you know, there was one person, uh, one of the shooters, that obviously the, the Ohio shooter did, didn't like Trump, but the El Paso shooter was a Trump supporter. And people are trying to say, oh, well, this is Trump's fault. This is Trump's fault. It's one of his supporters. And I'm, and I'm saying, no, we don't, you know, it, it's not our fault that some dickhead decides to act like a dumbass and, and go eat, be irresponsible and commit a crime. You know, we, we don't condone that. We don't enable that. We're not, we're not happy with this individual. He doesn't represent us. And then when the guy in Ohio did what he did, the media doesn't talk about how this guy is a left-wing communist and supported Elizabeth Warren and Bernie. So I, I hate the double standard because if it's a Trump supporter, they'll talk about it all night long. But if they find out that the person isn't a Trump supporter, you know, they'll still find some way to spin it and blame Trump, but they right. won't talk about it like they would if they knew for sure that was one of the supporters. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and also what I really want to question is the uh, the fact that this guy's from Dallas, Texas. The question um the re the question I, I started scratching my head wondering, well, why did he have to drive eight hours to El Paso? Exactly. Um, and why did he have to drive eight hours to El Paso instead of driving twenty mi- twenty eight miles to Dallas, which also has a, a high concentration of Hispanics. I mean, the demographics are changing over there. Yeah. Oh, oh it is. Yeah. And there, there was an article that came out, and the shooter from Texas admit, even admitted that he was not radicalized because of Trump. He supported Trump, but he said he was radicalized way before Trump ever came along. So, um, you know, it's it's just mind blowing though. All the everything that we're dealing with, it's, and, I, and I've talked about this so many times. These shootings are becoming the new norm. It's like I hear about a shooting and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, whatever. I hear about them all the time. You know what I mean? It's like I feel terrible for these people, but it's just like coming so regular. You know what I mean, Eddie? Yeah. And. How far how far are you from from where it happened in El Paso? Like I said, it it was eight hours from here. Um, okay. It, I mean, it happened in the afternoon on a on the, on the Saturday, and uh, right. when, when I first saw when I first saw news, it was it, I mean, it just shook me. But uh, yeah, that it took me by surprise. But um, I mean, right. from what I learned, from what I actually learned from the shooting. I think yeah. what really what people need to heed the warnings is people really need to heed the warnings about the next time something like this happens, the next time um, this ever happens. First of all, we can't really foresee the future, but right. I think what politicians, I think what this this is where they're missing the mark. They really need to tell people, the community, guys, you never know what's going to happen. You got to mm-hmm. arm yourselves. It's not yeah. – I mean, it can happen at any given day, and, and it doesn't matter what kind of terrorist it could be. I mean, we don't know what their motives could what could be, but right. it just doesn't matter what 
on what day, what department store. You can assume if let's say if I go to an HEB outside, it looks safe, right? But at the end of the day, right. I mean, where I live, people continue to bring their knives, their guns, yep. and we all know that here in Texas, knives are legal here. But guns, unfortunately, we don't have constitutional carry. I mean, it's something that, in my opinion, the governor here in Texas should call a special session on instead of these red flag laws. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Very, very well said. Uh, I do want to welcome, uh, and we do have to get to our other guest, uh, TJ, here in a second, but I do want to welcome ISIS escapee, radical Islam expert, activist, and best-selling author, IQ Al-Razuli. IQ, what are your thoughts on this, my friend? All, all of everything we've been talking about. I have a lot of thoughts. It is not only tragic, but actually quite frightening watching fascist Democrat Americans tearing the Republic apart with their obscene degrees of mendacity, hypocrisy, duplicity, violence, and treason. In fact, every single one of the white contenders, contenders for the presidency is pure white trash because they are abasing themselves to please the leftist, globalist, treasonous, human scum who intend to elect them. They're trying to exceed each other by vilifying all those who do not agree with their treasonous agenda to such an egregious extent that their negative labels are being repeated so many times, rendering them useless, such as, you are a racist. While they want to disarm decent Americans, they will never be able to take arms from criminals. Thus, disarmed ordinary Americans will be permanent victims since the police will never be able to stop these crimes. The race card has become the only mantra in the warped psyche of Democrats. It is an asinine and utterly meaningless mantra, especially because by a biological imperative, every single human being is therefore a racist in one way or another starting with the unchallengeable fact that we humans are not only territorial, but also tribal. Hence, when anyone calls me, for example, a racist, I reply, yes, I am, and proud, because it makes me the standard among homo sapiens sapiens. The Arabs considered the Africans inferior. The Japanese did the same to the Chinese and Koreans. The Zulus of Africa looked down on other tribes and slaughtered them. Hundreds of thousands of Tutsi and Hutus slaughtered each other in Africa without a single white person involved. Every conquering tribe considered the others inferior. The Persians and Greeks called each other barbarians. It never stops. President Trump should never go to the defensive, ever, because he has the facts on his side. Hence, must always go on the offensive. For example, we were discussing the Dayton Shooter, he is an Antifa-supporting, leftist, not a white racist. Such items must be at all times highlighted, repeated by the White House and all his supporters, so that Americans will be able to compare and contrast their information with the media. In all these shootings, if there was a single American with a legal weapon, they could have avoided more deaths. What do you think? Well, yeah, no, you're absolutely right, because, you know, all these gun laws do is they leave the good guy defenseless, and it allows the enemy to have all the power. It's, it's scary stuff, 
And, uh, you know, I, I wish I wish voters on the left would understand that, you know, no matter what laws are put into place, criminals don't follow them, and you're never going to get the millions of guns that are illegally on the street. You know what I mean? You know what I mean, IQ? Yes, of course I, I understand. I mean, the, but for you to expect, for us to expect the leftists to wake up is a waste of time. We are dealing with people who are completely oblivious to facts and reality. They are completely emotional, really, yeah. completely and utterly emotional. There is nothing rational about what they're doing. Look at all the... Sorry, look at all the people trying to be presidential. All of them. They're crap. All of them. Every single one of them. Yeah, no, right. they are. You're, you're right. It, it, it's one of those things. I mean, we, we are dealing with madness right now. Um, everybody, we're going to take a quick commercial, and we'll be right back with T.J. Roberts. Stay with us. TGI Friday's famous sizzling entrees that you know and love like chicken, shrimp, and cheese just got even hotter. With new delicious tastes like whiskey, flat iron steak, and the tastiest sizzling street noodles. Hurry in. Now starting at only $10. We bring the sizzle like no other. New sizzling entrees starting at $10. TGI Friday, the home of endless apps. Endless apps every night, 9 p.m. to close. She's still the one for you. And Cialis for daily use helps you be ready anytime the moment is right. Cialis is also the only daily ED tablet approved to treat symptoms of BPH, like needing to go frequently. Tell your doctor about all your medical conditions and medicines and ask if your heart is healthy enough for sex. Do not take Cialis if you take nitrates for chest pain as it may cause an unsafe drop in blood pressure. Do not drink alcohol in excess. Side effects may include headache, upset stomach, delayed backache, or muscle ache. To avoid long-term injury, get medical help right away for an erection lasting more than four hours. If you have any sudden decrease or loss in hearing or vision or any allergic reactions like rash, hives, swelling of the lips, tongue, or throat, or difficulty breathing or swallowing, stop taking Cialis and get medical help right away. Ask your doctor about Cialis for daily use and a free 30-tablet trial. Packaging. I'm Ray, and I quit smoking with Chantix. I tried cold turkey. I tried the patch. They didn't work for me. I didn't think anything was going to work for me until I tried Chantix. Chantix, along with support, helps you quit smoking. Chantix reduced my urge to smoke. I needed that to quit. When you try to quit smoking, with or without Chantix, you may have nicotine withdrawal symptoms. Some people had changes in behavior or thinking, aggression, hostility, agitation, depressed mood, or suicidal thoughts or actions with Chantix. Serious side effects may include seizures, new or worse heart or blood vessel problems, sleepwalking, or allergic and skin reactions, which can be life-threatening. Stop Chantix and get help right away if you have any of these. Tell your health care provider if you've had depression or other mental health problems. Decrease alcohol use while taking Chantix. Use caution when driving or operating machinery. The most common side effect is nausea. I can't tell you how good it feels to have smoke behind me. Talk to your doctor about Chantix. And we are back. The Rory Sauter Show, coast to coast, worldwide. Listen to in 25 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, 
past episodes, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, visit my media site, dnext, N-E-X, gen, G-E-N, USA.com. Also remember, in a month, I will be releasing the brand new 24-7 media network, which I'm very excited to share with all of you. We're raising a lot of money for it. We have many notable people already doing their own shows, and we will be having America's Toughest Sheriff, Joe Arpaio, as well as Director of Jihad Watch, Robert Spencer. Those two guys will be the main faces of the network, and we're very excited. I can't wait, everybody, to release it. Um, I do want to welcome to the show uh, Vice President of Publication and Academics at Liberty Institute of Freedom and Economics, T.J. Roberts. T.J., how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. TJ, your first time on the show, so tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, give a, give a bio, kind of an overview about your life and how you got to where you are today. And uh, I'll tell you, man, uh, the Liberty Institute of Freedom and Economics is a, a well-known establishment. Uh, and you got, that, you got a very uh, good position, man. I'm impressed. Uh, but, yeah, please tell Thanks. me. Uh, yeah, so – Ultimately, uh, my name's TJ. I am 21 years old. I am currently a student at Transylvania University, and I uh, essentially have been involved in politics for all of my adult life, most of my younger life as well. Uh, my first big role was I was a coordinator for students for Rand Paul for U.S. Senate. In 2016, I was a state chair for Young Americans for Liberty. Um, from there, I was also involved in state representative races such as that of Savannah Maddox for state house, got involved with the right to work campaigns for in Missouri. And that's essentially the rundown of my campaign work. I'm, and uh, also from there developed ideas mainly through the Ludwig von Mises Institute, things along those lines. That's a brief run through of what I've done. And uh, right now my big thing is just, Fighting for pro-liberty legislation uh, over in Kentucky, I helped fight and get passed the Campus Free Speech Act and constitutional carry just this year. So, and I have a lot more plans in the future. Yeah, man. Yeah, it sounds like you have a lot going on, and, and I'm very impressed, man. 21 years old, and you've done all this. Very, very impressive. Uh, I do want to ask you. Um, tell us about your role at, at the Liberty Institute. Tell us about your day-to-day kind of operations and how everything that goes on there and all that good stuff. Uh, sure. So the Liberty Institute, in essence, is just a – our goal is to spread the ideas of liberty to the everyday person. So what that entails is processing articles and ensuring that we are explaining relatively complex ideas from that of the philosophy of liberty to Austrian economics and just putting it down into the – most bare bare bones terminology that we can possibly use. So that way what we can do is we can ingrain people with a mindset of no compromise liberty. Of our goal is the maximization of personal and economic freedom with a complete and total refusal to compromise. So that's our and that's what it. we I do. With the date Go ahead. Oh go ahead, Patrick. No, go ahead. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, I was saying is like essentially the day and day is just the focus is spreading the ideas for at least for that organization. Yeah, I, I love it, man. And, and tell tell us, you know, in detail what what kind of stuff you try to shine light with in terms of economics. Like, you know, what what do you guys 
you know, try try to spread, you know, you know, in terms of in that realm and uh, all that good stuff. Sure. Um, one story that's really fun to sort of summarize it is there's this conference one talking about the breakdown of Bretton Woods, uh, which was the last remnant of the quasi gold standard that the United States had. As people were talking about it and further talking about how we need central banking, uh, people in this included Milton Friedman, one of the more free market folks within economics. There was one Ludwig von Mises, however, saw these people talking about selling out in terms of freedom, in terms of economics, in terms of honest money. He allegedly stands up in the middle of the meeting, shouts, you're all a bunch of socialists, and he walks out. That's what we're trying to show is that Unfortunately, if you are listening to a mainstream voice in economics, you're listening to a voice that believes in an unfree economy, that the essence of it is that we need an individualist mindset of economics. Human beings, not collectives, are the ones who act. They act to achieve their own ends and what they perceive to be their best interest, and it's through that, that we can come up with these conclusions. And one particular um, article that did really well, I wrote it, um, was a deconstruction of national socialism or fascism, as it's more popularly called nowadays. They talk about how the failures of central planning are universal no matter how you try to bring it, out, bring it about. Yeah, I love it. So that's I love sort it. of the Speaking rundown of-, of the economics. Yeah, and speaking of articles, you write a lot of articles for a lot of – I know you, you, you've done stuff online and for different news media outlets. Tell the audience about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my, the first publication that I wrote for for ex- an extensive time, I was the managing editor for a libertarian publication called Liberty Hangout. And uh, that was a more of a libertarian news site where we would talk about current events, things along those lines. Um, if anyone knows who Caitlin Bennett is, that's where she got her origin as well in terms of it. She uh, was the one who carried an AR-10 on Kent State's campus. Uh, I was the managing editor of the site at the time for that. I also now currently – all of my original content is currently found at The Advocates for Self-Government where I talk about my current issues and take an analysis of it in terms of Freedom is freedom, both personal and economic. I love it. I love it, man. And you know, uh, tell us, tell us lately, like what what projects you got going on lately? Any anything that you're really putting a lot of time into and, and dedicating? Yeah, absolutely. So as of right now, I'm focusing a little bit less on the ideas. Actually, I'm focusing more on putting them into practice and making them win. So as I mentioned in my intro, in February of this year, Kentucky passed constitutional carry, and I played played somewhat of a role in terms of getting that passed. It's a bill that allows you to carry a concealed firearm without a license, and that's an issue that matters a lot to me. The right to bear arms is something that's no compromise, and as of right now, as far as I'm concerned, anyone calling for any further restrictions on the right to bear arms is committing high treason against the Constitution anyone regardless of party and what i'm ultimately here to consider is that what we're doing right now is we're looking at the wrong thing and that was one of my problems i was focused on the sir galahad theory of politics the i will win because my heart is pure well sir galahad died um 
what that means right now is that we need to look at politics and what it truly is, which is ultimately it's the adjudication of power. It is nothing more, nothing less. So with that in mind, you would develop the mindset of if you can't say something mean about a politician, don't say anything about them. And it essentially goes into we just applied a great degree of pressure on the Kentucky State Legislature, and inevitably we got it to where enough people felt that they would lose their jobs if they didn't support constitutional carry, and that is now the law of the land in Kentucky. Same deal with the Campus Free Speech Act, which it's really common sense. It's just the First Amendment applies to college students, um, as if that should even have to be elaborated upon. But And that we managed to get passed as well in spite of opposition from both Republican and Democratic individuals within the state house. So that's just Very, that's my big fight right now is pushing for legislation. I love, dude, excellent, excellent. And I, you know, I'm, I'm in Arizona, so it's, uh, you know, you, you don't need a permit to carry, you don't need a permit to carry here. Any, anybody can carry as long as they don't have a felony. And, you know, that's how it needs to be. I mean, it, you know, it needs to be like the, everywhere needs to be like the wild, wild west, like down here. I mean, it, you know, and I've always said, if you touch anything with the Second Amendment, you know, you're going too far. Just like when bump stocks were banned last year. That was one of the very few things, like I've only ever disagreed with Trump maybe two two or three times. Very, like, very little. I, I agree with 90, 98% of everything he's done, 98%. But there's that 2%, you know, like him banning bump stocks. I was mad because I don't want, Anyone touching the Second Amendment, especially in our party, because when you do that, it's like the Democrats, you're, you're feeding into their agenda, and you're obviously uh, disrespecting the Constitution, and it's, it's like when you give the Democrats just a, an inch, they'll take a mile. This, it's just it's, – it's wrong. It's wrong to touch anything with, with our guns. Let it be. You know, it's – it, it, all of a sudden, in these last couple of years, you know, it's become this, this all this hysteria on social media, you know, just from the left. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. You know what I mean? And I hope people, I hope more people can understand that guns don't kill people. It's people that kill people. And we have a mental health problem. We don't have a gun problem because you have all these people on a daily basis in our country that are very responsible with firearms. But then you have that rare occurrence where some dumbass will go and, you know, on a crazy shooting. And they want us to, you know, especially the left, they want us to suffer for some dickhead making a bad choice. It's just like, it's ridiculous. You know what I mean? I agree agree with you in many ways. I'm going to push back on one thing here. One of the things that you mentioned is that we have a mental health crisis, and I agree we have a mental health crisis, but we can look at CDC data here, and it actually shows that mentally ill people are less likely to be violent. So whenever we say that the mentally ill shouldn't have guns, we are making a concession right then and there because if we're saying that people who are less likely to be violent than us shouldn't have guns, what does that mean about right. us? And that's why right. no compromise is so important. In fact, mentally ill people are more likely to fall victim of violence than those who are not. If anyone needs a firearm to defend themselves, it's those people. That's one of the points to consider. Now, I'm also going to make a call to action here. 
because right now both the president, Dan Crenshaw, Lindsey Graham, multiple Republicans are currently supporting red flag gun laws. And this law here not only violates the Second Amendment, it violates the Fifth Amendment. It, viol- it revokes your due process rights, and it revokes innocence until proven and, guilt. And if you look, so there pretty much is already red, red flag laws there, so it's pointless. Absolutely. And one thing I'm going to do right now, I want you guys to call Mitch McConnell's office and tell him to reverse course right now, defend the Second Amendment, and tell the, tell the Republicans that he, has, uh, that he has sent to work on, quote, bipartisan gun control. Tell him to change course and tell him to call that off. Mitch McConnell's phone number is 502-582-6304. Feel free to call his office. Everyone listening here, that's one of the most important things we can be doing right now is show them not another law. If any law about guns should be happening, it should be repealing gun laws. It should be repealing the NFA. It should be nullifying NICs. It should be ensuring that people who have convicted nonviolent crimes can arm themselves to protect themselves. That's what we need to be working on right now. If anything, we need to be working in the other direction toward more gun rights because right now we don't have the Second Amendment because there's so many gun laws on the books already. Yeah, and it really it really puts a burden, and it really just messes with our lives. I mean, when we have these idiots that go on rampages, and you have all this, you know, mainstream media that likes to, you know, in a sense glorify and also spin spin the whole situation like crazy, and it's just it's it's really bad. It's really bad for our country. Um, that people's priorities are not in the right place because, you know, I see a lot of this, these gun reactions from the left as it's theater. I mean, a lot of it's acting, a lot of it's not real tears. A lot of them, you know, know they're full of shit, but there's also sadly a good amount of them that believe that gun control is badly needed. And, And I wish people would, more people would go back and read a history book because, you know, how did Hitler kill millions of people? Oh, gun control, you know, uh, all, all, all this stuff. And it goes back to all the communism tactics, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And speaking of, uh, speaking of in terms of this is I just wish the left would be honest at this point because let's be very clear. They are very much okay with political violence. Very much yes, okay with it. They they're not they here trying to – they're not, they're not here trying to end – violence in America. If anything, they're trying to exacerbate it. You have a congresswoman from Minnesota actively encouraging people to assault Senator Rand Paul again after he just had part of his lung removed after a terrorist tried to kill him in 2017. And that man, by the way, the man that assaulted Rand Paul, is a free man right now. He is out of prison if that was a Republican attempting to attempting to assault and beat the living hell out of a Democrat, they would be they would be in jail until the, they breathe their last breath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how, how long? You know, I, I didn't read what the guy's sentence was. What? How long did he get? Like a year? Not even that. He wound up serving less than a year. Jesus. They just wow. got him on simple assault. They got him on simple assault, and he had to pay the medical bill. Jesus. Well, it's speaking speaking of Rand Paul, you used to work for Rand Paul. 
how was that experience? I can only imagine. I'm sure you you had the time of your life, and it was so unforgettable and so profound and, and authentic and just so memorable. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm sure it was. What we what was it like though? Oh, he cut. The call dropped. Weird. We lost him for a second. Let's. Let's wait for him to call back in. He should be calling back in. I don't know why the call dropped. Here we go. TJ, you there? Yes, I am. Sorry about that. I'm oh. uh, I'm actually staying in an Airbnb, and it's not and the signal's not the best. Okay, I was asking you what what was the profound and authentic experience like working for Rand Paul? I mean, probably as memorable as it gets, right? Oh, it was amazing. It, it's truly amazing, in fact. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's one of the best experiences I've ever had because Rand Paul has made such a significant difference in our lives. It's Absolutely. Less of, it's less about what has passed, more about what hasn't passed because of him. Let's think about the fact of in, 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 incorporating Montenegro into NATO, what that would have done is that would have expanded the U.S. sphere of influence into Russian territory. That would have led to more conflict with them. That could lead to World War III. That's one of the things that he stopped single-handedly because the Senate didn't have quorum. This was something in which John McCain and a few other establishment elites were attempting to push in as quickly as possible, and Rand Paul simply beat it with a, I object. That's one of the things he did. He filibustered the domestic drone program. He filibustered the Patriot Act, the so-called Patriot Act, that is. He is now currently uh, under consideration to become an envoy to Iran, at which point Donald Trump is attempting to bring back peaceful relations. Let's be very clear. The number of American lives that would be lost if we wind up in a hot war with Iran would be uncountable. About These are the, is this Trump is the said. difference. This is the difference that one senator is making here. He's making a difference here, and that is one of the times that it, that we need to stand up for someone like that. So the big accomplishment there is that I I know that I made a difference because of that. Absolutely, and you're absolutely right. I mean, he is by the book, Constitution. Uh, he's one of our biggest advocates. That's for sure, and. Uh, I respect everything he does, and uh, I, I love the way he carries himself. That's that's for that's for damn sure. I mean, he is uh, he's one of the good guys, and and that's hard to come by in in D.C. these days. You got so many swamp creatures, you know. Oh, absolutely, and that's a shame. Like, and that's the thing is, like, you look into it. There's that civil war within Republican circles. In fact, oh, you have the civil war within Friends of Trump. You have John Bolton, who's probably looking for plans to nuke Ireland, but then you have Rand Paul here looking for peace through strength. There's such a fundamental difference. Imagine being such a coward that you believe that we should be the policeman of every small country that doesn't pose a threat to us. Right. It's something that is – it's something that I – it's one of those struggles that I really hope Rand Paul wins out in. And you know what I do love and respect about our president is that he's not a war guy. That's the last thing he wants to do. And as you've seen, you know, his approach and his stance, 
uh, you know, he, he doesn't want innocent people to suffer. He, th- th- this is his last resort, war. I mean, it's not one of the first things that he would do, unlike, you know, a partisan Republican, like somebody like Bush or somebody nuts, you know, that is just cat has no has it has their ego talking more than their actual you know than their actual their than their than their proper sense it's it's you know what what do you think about that i mean i'm sure you respect that right you know his his instincts are definitely in the right place in terms of it i really hope that he goes back and he actually doubles down on his decision to pull out of syria because right now mm-hmm. his administration is effectively nullifying his his decision to pull out and I really hope that he stands up and says, no, we're getting out of Syria because that isn't our job. Let's talk about another accomplishment. North Korea has got to be the biggest thing Donald Trump has done. If I vote for Donald Trump in 2020, it is solely because of his accomplishments in, Northern, in North Korea. The fact that we have yeah. a U.S. president who has stepped onto North Korean soil is historic. This is showing that he prefers diplomacy over aggression. So his instincts are in the right place. He just needs people to guide him there. That's one of the biggest points here is that one of his mistakes, what his biggest mistake other than signing gun control into law, in my opinion, was when he bombed Syria in 2018. That was a huge mistake, and that's one of the biggest points to consider is like we should be avoiding all forms of warfare, whether it be physical or economic, and that's the point is that his instincts in the right place, you need to guide him into you need to guide him to follow those instincts. And that's why looking at this whole feud between Bolton and Paul is such an interesting dynamic in modern American politics. If you want to really make sense of Donald Trump's uh, foreign policy, look to Andrew Jackson, actually. He's a Jacksonian. He's not a neocon, he's not a non interventionist, he's a Jacksonian, which is essentially let's get involved when it is in our interest. And it's it's a fascinating foreign policy, and the thing is that essentially you need to prove that aggressive war or economic war is never in our interest ultimately, is that we need to lead as an example. We need to pursue peace and prosperity first over policing other countries to solve problems that we haven't even solved here. Yeah, no, you know, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I do want to shift topics a little bit. I want to ask sure. you, you, you know, President Trump came out, I think it was yesterday, and, and he said that, and today actually he did, and he said he was going to keep a strong eye out on Google, um, you know, for what they're doing. And, and let's face it, guys, everybody needs to understand, Google is the most powerful company on the face of the earth. And I will say that single-handedly. I think they are. I think they're probably the most powerful. I don't think there's any other entity or business as powerful as Google. And the amount of influence and the amount of brainwashing and, and the amount of, um, you, know, you know, just fear and spin they are putting into uh, their algorithm and the way they, they show the news on their, on their site is so skewed towards Democrats. It, 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 it goes, it, it leans, it, it favors Democrats by far. It's the biggest political bias I've ever seen. And now there are Google employees coming out and saying, there was one on Tucker Carlson the other night, and he's saying that Google will do everything in their power to try to prevent Trump from winning in 2020. And they will do that by suppressing Republican and pro-Trump articles, uh, obviously suppressing and you know, messing with voters. 
and, uh, you know, being all pro-Democrat with articles and, you know, putting the 2020 Democrat candidate uh, on top of their algorithm. So they're, they're trending constantly. And we know how this works. We know with what this influence and, and this kind of power uh, can do to, to the public. You know, people don't even really read the newspaper anymore. A lot of people just get their news online. Uh, pretty much everybody does everything online these days. They buy stuff. They read their news. There's not anything online that you can't do. You can pretty much do everything. And that's why people do it, because it's convenient. So, And you have all these people that share news articles from random outlets, and a lot of it's fake news. Like, people don't check their sources enough. People don't look. Okay, you know, people just see a headline, and they're like, oh. And this, this goes on on both sides, sadly. It does, because I see it on Facebook and Twitter all the time. And I think that, that is something that Google has power over as well. I mean, because they are putting – think about it. All the companies that are online are – I mean, pretty much they're, they're connected with and affiliated with Google because everything is on the Google search engine. Google has power. They have authority over all of these different entities. Some way, or some, some way they do in some sort of way. And, you know, I, I'm looking at this threat, and I'm looking about, about big tech and their influence and I tell you what, uh, it makes me nervous considering, you know, that they, they, are, they are the number one outlet in today's society for uh, people getting information. What, do you, what are your thoughts on this, TJ? So I think that it's important to consider both two things. We need to consider property rights, and we need to consider contracts. Property rights says you're entitled to what you own and what you have acquired through either original appropriation or through voluntary transactions. Google, in some sense, is a private company, but let's not lie about this. They're one of the biggest welfare recipients in the country. They receive billions in terms of subsidies, and this isn't like them getting tax breaks. I'm fine with tax breaks. As far as I'm concerned, that's a tax cut for people, and I would never go against that. What I am against, however, is the government writing a check to people. There's that first point. So property rights is important. So as far as I'm concerned, one of the biggest things that we can do right then and there is defund them immediately. Uh, There's the the first one. Look at all the politicians that have Google in their pocket. Look at Google giving all this money and collecting all our information, and it goes on and on. It's crazy. But go ahead. Sorry. It's fine. Uh, So property rights is important. Now the second point as well is contracts. Google, like most other outlets such as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, so on, they typically in their in their contract with users have a commitment to freedom of speech. And you can see this especially whenever you look at their tax classification. They declare themselves as platforms. And what a platform is is an entity that doesn't control what is on their site. So if I – For example, say that you murdered my mother on Facebook. You cannot sue Facebook for libel. They didn't do that. You get to sue me, though, because I knowingly lied about you and uh, made a claim that would damage your reputation. And there's probably proof of actual malice in that point. So there's that. With a a platform, that's not that works. With a publisher, however, a publisher is an entity that controls what is on the platform. So that publisher 
than if I were to make that same claim on a on a site that controls what's on it, then you can then you can sue that site for defamation. That's something that Facebook and Google, especially as well, is taking advantage of right now. They're claiming to be a platform of they welcome everyone and they treat everyone neutrally, but they don't. They're violating their contract there. So with that in mind. The best thing to do is to just declare them as a publisher, not a platform, if they want to act this way. If they want the benefits of being a platform, then they need to stop controlling it. So there are ways to do this, to actually handle this situation without growing government, and that's one of the most prominent, one of the most important things to consider is I don't trust the government on a foundational level no matter who is in charge of it because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Government is nothing more than the adjudication of power. So let's not give them the ability to decide who gets to do what, but let's make sure that we are upholding contracts because contracts is a fundamental to a civilized society. So that's my, that's my two-point consideration of Google is that ultimately in a free market economy, they would collapse like none other. Yeah. Oh, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and what would you do to – what would you do to – Put an end to it. I mean, if you were in charge, how would you go about it? Um, if I so if I had like a magic button that I could just do whatever. The first thing is I would end all welfare to Google. This includes any form of subsidy in which the government is writing a check to them. Second is I would allow for people to sue Google for defamation or any defamatory remarks that show up on their search engine. If they want to be a publisher, if they want to control what gets seen by whom, that's fine. That's their right. But what it means is that they are now responsible for what is seen by whom. So anytime that something like that is happening, any illegal content that's on it, they're also responsible for it. So that that's how I would do it. It, it Basically what it does is it, it racks up the incentive structure to where if they want to survive, they're going to start treating people neutrally. Because right now they have yeah. every incentive to treat people unfairly, and that's the problem. Is people, especially businesses, they respond to their incentives. You can't exactly blame them, but what you can do is you can restructure the game to make sure that they are playing it in a way that is just. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. No, and, and it's it's one of those things we really have to get a get a uh, you know a handle on. It's uh, it's it's crazy what we're dealing with. Um, I, I do. I also want to ask you. You know, in, in all your in your years of politics, and, and you know, obviously you've been around quite some time. You've been doing this pretty much your whole life. But what what do you you know? Have you ever seen hostility to this level? I mean. Look at the way they treat our president. I mean, it's out of this world. I, I, I've never seen anyone get treated, you know, like this. It's terrible. Nothing in my lifetime, but if I had to think about what, what – if, if I had to think of a historical example of where we are, I would do it in terms of the late Roman Republic. Um. You had great divisions and factions within it. You had an overextension of the so-called empire. You had population that was 
highly divided, and they were engaged in breads and circuses, so they were distracted by the major facets of it. Uh, Late Roman Empire, my apologies. Um, And this led to great deals of civil wars. This led us into... Uh, this led us to invasion from abroad because we had overstepped our boundaries. That That's what I would say, historically speaking. I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime, but that's only 21 years. We've been around for thousands. So if I had to give a historical example of what is the closest thing to where we are now, I would say late Rome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a crazy time, that's for sure. Uh, Kevin, go ahead. Well, it's really great to talk to you, TJ. I definitely uh, find that what you've said today has been very agreeable. And I uh, definitely have somewhat been in your shoes uh, as far as being turned on to politics by uh, Ron Paul and seeing uh, Senator Rand Paul as a, a favorite uh, political figure by far and, um, and going through the whole understanding the concepts of, of liberty and conservatism. And so uh, I want to turn this uh, conversation up a notch a bit because uh, I've learned a few things through this this movement of of liberty because uh, I tend to see the, the movement going in this direction. Usually, people have been in the establishment position like early earlier in these the last few decades, for example, and they kind of wake up to how much the establishment is controlled um, and how they've been abusing our constitutional rights and bringing us into wars and all these um, terrible violations of our, our rights and liberties and uh, so much more that's been against our interests as, as a nation. And so we, we decided, hey, you know, we're going to wake up and we're going to take towards, you know, liberty and the Constitution. And, uh, you know, we want to just focus on, on America and not on all this foreign intervention. Great. It, it, I believe in that too. But uh, through all this course of finding this uh, concept of liberty and striving for it at all times, I find that it's, uh, it, it's led in the direction, if you, of course, understand how the Libertarian Party today is, it's, you know, it's liberty at all costs, and uh, they have no almost uh, moral compass when it comes to the liberty that they provide. And what we see today is this uh, degradation of our American values and our culture, and it's, uh, you know, almost this open border, global homogenized kind of culture that, uh, that they agree with. And um, you, you tend to see a lot of this uh, Koch brothers type you know, uh, economic, you know, liberty kind of effect that takes place in American politics. So, you know, as my experience through this is I've distanced myself a bit from that liberty movement and moved into nationalism. And that's, that's I'm a leader of a nationalist uh, group that believes in traditional uh, conservative values foremost. And so I, I want to really ask you is um, where do you see uh, how to protect the American social conservative values? And uh, do you uh, believe Andrew Breitbart's decision, uh, his belief that it's uh, culture is downstream from politics or is it politics downstream from culture? Culture is downstream from politics. Um, I actually don't talk about the Libertarian Party anymore. They're irrelevant. They're never going to win. They never have won. Uh, that's one of the first points I'm going to make there. Uh, regarding the phrase nationalism, 
it's a dirty word in American politics, but I'm not sure if it should be because there are different types of nationalism. Of course, we could have the American nationalism of what we saw of the values of the founding fathers. That's nothing terrible. That's not there. There's nothing wrong with that. There are facets of it that's uh, that's problematic. However, one of the things is is that ultimately, I think libertarians have lost their way. And uh, perhaps the most eye-opening experience I've had with this was uh, Jeff Deist, the president of the Mises Institute, delivered a speech called Four New Libertarians." This speech addresses the fact that libertarianism isn't ignorant of human nature. What it is, though, is that it only covers one aspect of human nature, and that is the political. When is it acceptable to use force? The libertarian position, if we take it from the philosophical, not the LP position, but screw them. Um, The libertarian position is that aggression is only acceptable in the instance of self-defense. That's it. So everything else is really up to us to decide. So let's talk about this, though. What is the most conducive to individual liberty? Robert Nisbet in his book, The Quest for Community, writes that ultimately a focus on community of strong families, strong churches, strong neighborhoods. That's perhaps the most important part there because I grew up in a small town in Kentucky. I know the last names and first names of my neighbors. I know the names of the people within my town. I have their phone numbers. I connect with them. We're losing that, and we're focusing on this whole idea that libertarianism must mean moral nihilism. That's not the case whatsoever. In fact, it's an entirely ethical doctrine around self-ownership. Well, where does self-ownership come from? Of course, it's self-confirming. To argue against self-ownership proves it correct, but we weren't it didn't just happen that way on accident. It came from something. So it's our natural right. I believe it comes from God. If you don't believe it, that's fine, but that is something within our nature. But it's also within our nature to be communal in some sense. And that's why we need to get back to strong families. The, perhaps the greatest defense against the state is is the family. Because ultimately you look into it, used to, if you came into hard times, you would go to your family that couldn't be possible, you would go to a church. Then you would go to the community at large. Well, the government's taken a place in that. We've opened up a hole in our hearts through moral nihilism, and that hole can only be filled by something as powerful as government now. And it's for that reason that we need to get back to families. And it's it's something that I consider to be incredibly important. But I don't believe that to be incompatible with libertarianism because Ultimately, libertarianism is just about when force is acceptable. Who is who is the libertarian party to say that, no, I can't have a strong family based upon Western values? They're nobody. You can't force me not to do that. Not ethically, that is. Does that make sense at all? Uh, sort of. Well, my position is definitely that uh, culture is downstream from politics. You use a legal system in order to protect your culture, your people, and your traditions. And if you, you know, let go like we did in, for example, 2013 when we legalized gay marriage, now we had just an on uh, flooding of absolute, uh, you know, how far can we take this? And we see drag uh, queen story hours and people lopping off their 
genitals and just absolutely terrible things. And that's because, you know, we keep conceding our, our political beliefs and we keep, you know, letting uh, this concept of liberty uh, turn people into, you know, this animalistic, hedonistic kind of uh, culture, just like in the late Roman Empire. I see your point. Uh, I'm going to push back a little bit. So your point of legalizing gay marriage in 2013, for I believe in privatizing marriage. Just get the government out of it. I don't believe that. It's a, if anything, government involvement in marriage it weakens the institution of marriage because it turns it into a tax into a tax cut scheme. Something so much more than that. It's something of finding someone to start a family with, to have children, to have a bloodline, to have a descendant there. That's the important part of it. However, let's look at this. If we are saying that the legalization of this is what caused that, we're conceding that politics – we're conceding that culture is downstream from politics, that political – the political is starting this. But let's look at how culture was so important to the decision to legalize it. In 2004, California voted to ban gay marriage. I guarantee you that wouldn't happen today. Culture is something that is so important at this. Is like ultimately we need to be focusing on culture first. And a government-sponsored culture, especially a government-sponsored culture for more than 300 million people, that can never work. We can't have that. So the, the, the solution, is, as far as I'm concerned, that's completely reconcilable with both of our positions is a decentralized decision-making as much as possible. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm saying it's better, though, because ultimately the federal government shouldn't have say in what is a marriage between two people because federal government shouldn't be saying that. That should be something between myself, my wife, and my God as far as I'm concerned. That's where that is. But, of course, it's one of those matters of let's let Kentuckians be Kentuckians. Let's let Arizona have their own policies goes on as far as that. So uh, that's my whole position on this regard. I believe that hedonism is an incredible problem, and it leads to bigger government. But I believe growing the government in order to curtail hedonism gets us into a dangerous path as well. So th- right. th- that's my whole take. Well, uh, all right. Well, nationalism would disagree with you, but I'll move on to the next guest. Uh, yeah, panel. All right. Oh, thank you very Kevin, much. Kevin, if you want to respond, Kevin, if you want to respond real quick, go ahead. Well, it's merely that when you have this hedonistic culture, we, you know, and trying to privatize uh, all aspects of how to preserve this culture, uh, what we see is this kind of, as you notice, like we're talking about gay marriage, we have virtually almost every single large company celebrating Pride Month on, on uh, every single year now, and. Uh, to do virtual signaling to kind of uh, pretty much normalize this culture, and uh, not only that, but treat it like it's some sort of courageous and brave, uh, beautiful act, and it's not. And so, if you you privatize a lot of these things, you just give in. You you absolutely surrender your culture, and you know it's not just in America. It's it's happening all over the world, and it's it's not good. It's very materialistic and capitalistic. Uh, well, not capitalistic, but it's it's surrendering the the culture and values that uh, made this country great. It's God that decides what is a marriage. It's not some people trying to make money deciding who's to get married. Sure. Um, One quick response here is that 
Yeah. Ultimately, what we're doing right now isn't working. We are growing the government as a means to attempt to preserve this. It failed then. It'll fail again. Right now, we can see, in fact, that with like what I was talking about with Rome, one of the biggest establishments of the empire is when Augustus was initiating pro-family legislation. This led to the family becoming deteriorated in the fact that we weren't voluntarily creating this institution. Right now, these big companies that we're talking about that are virtue signaling are largely sponsored by the state. This is what happens whenever we plague this with subsidy, and it becomes so much more cloudy here. Now, the argument of materialism is a, is a problem, and I, I agree with that because economically speaking, there is more than just material profit. Murray Rothbard described this as psychic profit. There is something more to you than just crunching numbers. We're more than that, absolutely. That's a, I 100% agree with you there. Growing the government, however, has consistently failed in doing this. We see that the bigger the government, typically the weaker the families, the weaker the churches. It's something that ultimately we need to start having that. We need to start winning the culture war, ultimately get engaged in, say, the entertainment and music. I'm not saying that we can compete with large companies right now, but the reason why we can't compete with these companies is because of government subsidies. So with that in mind, I just see that everything the government touches turns to crap. So that's uh, what I would have to say. But thank you all so much for having me on. Yeah, uh, real quick, I- IQ, go ahead, and then, uh, and then I'm going to take a commercial. But I'll, le- I'll let you go, TJ. Um, IQ just wants to respond real quick. IQ, go ahead. What he was saying made sense a lot, but uh, I, don't, I disagree with him regarding the foreign policies. The United States should not go invading places, but they can and will and should defend themselves and defend their allies. For example, when we're discussing, uh, he's worried more about North Korea. I'm not worried about North Korea. I'm worried more about Iran. Iran is aggressive by nature. Iran is aggressive by their belief system, the Shia system, because on the Shia tradition or Shia belief system, the Mahdi, their messiah, will only come if there is total war. Mm. Uh, North Korea has no intention of starting a a total war because they don't gain anything out of it. But from the mindset of the Shias, of the Iranian government, they gain everything if they go to total war. So I don't know what he thinks about it. I'll let you respond, TJ. Go ahead. If we want to stop a total war from happening, we simply shouldn't give them a total war. Ultimately, a war in, in such a scale that we're talking about here can only be started by a world power, which Iran is not. Right now, what we need to do if we're trying to prevent a total war from happening within their mindset is we need to focus on being diplomatic here. Ultimately, what stopped us from having a problem – what stopped the problems between us and Vietnam? It wasn't us invading them. We lost thousands of lives, and we've lost millions, if not billions, of dollars doing that. What opened what opened their hearts to the ideas of liberty, of Western civilization coming in, was that of us opening trade with them, of us preferring diplomacy over aggressive force. Iran, as of right now, simply put, one of the biggest things that people say is they're the largest sponsor of state terrorism. Well, which terrorist groups are we talking about? Ultimately, one of the people that they're killing right now is al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. They're actually opening the window for us to pull out of Afghanistan. So it's one of those questions of 
if we if we're talking about their philosophy of total war, well, the only way to truly do that is to play into their hands there, which is something that we're that I want to stop from happening. You can't stop yeah. them from happening because they believe in it. For forty years, for forty years, they have been demonizing America, death to America. They were the ones who invaded the American consular uh, embassy. So they acted an act of war. Invading somebody's embassy is an act of war by international law. So what, we're not discussing the same language here. It's a belief system. It's an aggressive belief system. You cannot tell them we are going to give you economy. For 40 years, they know about economy, but they have spent their money on terrorism, and it is worldwide terrorism. By the way, they are spending money in the southern border, in, in Mexico, and in Latin America, converting Christians to Islam by the thousands. Did you know that? I am aware of efforts made by them. However, if we're going to talk about a war as ideological, that's a war that we could never win. You can't kill an idea. What we need to do is we need to internalize our defense system and put America first over the idea of putting these ideas first. Because right now, America is the physical place where we have more than 300 million lives. Let's consider what we're talking about with the with the embassy being invaded here. That was 40 years ago after they had just overthrown the puppet government that the United States had instilled through the Shah. What that showed there was their own assertion of self, uh, and that's ultimately the the explanation for all of the foreign wars that we've had in the Middle East these past 40 years. Was ultimately this idea that we can't control them, so we're going to try to, to try to undercut them through other means. And that has led to thousands of people dead and trillion dollars of debt. I believe that we have seen that this has been a, an overwhelming failure. Sure, we can't sure. speak their own language, but the best way to do it is just to ensure that we recognize that we're just completely incompatible with them. Force doesn't work I in do. terms of doing that. What that leads to is that leads to blowback. That leads to September 11th-style attacks. That's what we have seen with this, was that we stayed in the Middle East too long, and 3,000 Americans lost their lives within minutes of each other. And I want to stop, I the, I want to stop something like that from happening again. i got to go to commercial here in 10 seconds, but I see I'll let you get the final thought. Go ahead. Well, we're not going to agree because we are discussing a belief system. Islam is a belief system. You cannot negotiate okay. with Islam because Muslims considered us who are not Muslims, infidels, kuffar, okay. we are not worthy of life. So it doesn't matter how much we can try to be nice to them. In the end, another 9-11 or something similar to it will happen. Back to you, sir. Okay, TJ, uh, please tell everybody where they can connect with you and find your work. Uh, yeah, find me on Facebook, TJ Roberts. Um, my work is on theadvocates.org. You can email me at TJ Roberts. 223 at gmail.com. Thank you. All righty. Sounds good. Thanks for coming on. Uh, we'll be right back with uh, Dr. Michael Buffler. Stay with us, everybody. Thank you. Would you know what to do in the event of an active shooter, a terrorist attack, or an unforeseen altercation? Whether at home or in the workplace, SkyRace Security can train you and your employees how to defuse a potential violent situation. Our goal at SkyRace Security is to keep our clients safe. 
With our professional and experienced Israeli Defense Force trainers, we teach strategies for safety that may someday save lives. Sign up at SkyRaysSecurity.com for our workplace violence prevention and training classes or call 240-888-0682. Hello, everybody. This is Rory Sodder from The Rory Sodder Show. Are you an aspiring entrepreneur? Do you have an app idea? Do you want to save money? Well, I got great news for you. My company, GetYourAppBuilt.com, charges a fraction of the cost compared to anywhere else. And all of our work is the same amount of professionalism you'd see from any other company. Uh, please visit our website, GetYourAppBuilt.com, for your free consultation and contact us today. Thank you. Hello, everybody. This is Rory Sodder from The Rory Sodder Show. Please visit TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com for all your authentic, customized, and creative President Trump apparel and merchandise. You won't find products like this anywhere else. And best part of all, it's made here right in the USA. Use Mega45 at checkout for 30% off your first purchase. Again, visit TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com today for a wide variety of great selections. Thank you. Is video a part of your strategy for 2019? Hi, I'm Rob Hicks with Hicks Video, your remote video production specialist. Using equipment you already own, I help you deliver high-value videos to your audience. From interviews and demonstrations to online meetings and trainings, I work with you to shape your stories and subjects that demonstrate your subject matter expertise. If you're a product specialist, sales executive, or business owner, we make video production simple and affordable. We do this so that you can make videos on a regular basis, whether it's daily, weekly, or monthly, to communicate about the topics and discussions that are important to you, your audience, and your business. To make your videos, we use HD video conferencing that allows you and your guests to connect to our studio from your home or office using your laptop, phone, or tablet. Once you and your guests have connected to our studio, we do all the rest. We take care of the TV graphics, the intro videos, the outro videos, the music, the behind-the-scenes production. Everything that it takes to either live stream or locally record your video for post-production editing to social media, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it. If you're tired of seeing the empty balloon commercials that are being made by your competition's social media experts, give me a call. I work directly with you, the subject matter expert, to help shape your story and ideas in a professional and polished manner via video. If you're ready to take a deep dive on your expertise and showcase the essence of your business via video, give me a call or connect with me online. I'm Rob Hicks with Hicks Video, the remote video production specialist, the doer's resource for online video production. And we are back, coast to coast, worldwide. Now listen to in 25 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, past episodes, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, visit my media site, thenexgenusa.com. Also remember and stay tuned. In about a month, we will be releasing the new 24-7 network. We're raising a lot of money for it, and we have many notable people doing their own shows. Also, uh, America's Toughest Sheriff, Joe Arpaio, and Director of Jihad Watch, Robert Spencer, both those guys will be the faces of the network, good friends of mine. Very excited to bring them on. Um, I do want to welcome to the show uh, economist, entrepreneur, motivational speaker, writer for Town Hall, Newsmax, LiveVet, and a professor of finance at Stockton University in New Jersey, Dr. Michael Bussler. How are you, sir? Welcome back. 
I'm doing well, Rory. How are you doing? It's always my pleasure to be here. Well, we love having you here, and thank you. Um, obviously, you're, you're listening to some of the conversation. I know you usually have some thoughts about what we're talking about. What, what do you think? Well, you had some uh, uh, pretty wide-ranging topics there. I was particularly interested uh, in the Libertarian Party uh, and uh, what was said about them. They uh, essentially want uh, no government control of, of anything. They uh, encourage uh, individual freedom, uh, and they expect individual responsibility. Um, so in concept, it looks good. There's always a question of how far things things go. You, you know, when we, we talk about what, what exactly should the, the role of government be, uh, libertarians think an extremely small role. Um, of course, on the other end of the spectrum are uh, social Democrats like Bernie Sanders who thinks a very, uh, a very large role. And it seems to, um, if you look at history, um, the country sort of swings a little bit to the left and a little bit to the right and uh, generally stays pretty close, pretty close to the center. So the libertarian uh, kind of movements tend to be on, um, mostly on the uh, uh, extreme. But what I do like about libertarianism is that they encourage that individual freedom. And I think we've gotten away from individual freedom. If you listen to the Democrats, they want to get away from individual responsibility and put in more social responsibility, and it really is uh, counter to what made uh, America great. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. You're you're absolutely right. And um, obviously, you know, there, there's a lot to get into tonight. Um, what, what are your What are your thoughts on the market right now? I mean, we we have the stock market, pretty much the best it's ever been. Uh, record record numbers consistently. Um, how, how, what do you think? What, what, like, I mean, we're living in a time like never seen before. Yeah, I'm I'm still very bullish on the stock market. Now, yesterday they had that uh, seven point seven hundred point plunge. About half of it was reversed today, and I think in the coming days all of it will be um, reversed. The market. Um, reacts, um, they tend to be very nervous and oftentimes overreact to um, a lot of economic um, events. Uh, and, of course, the latest is that Trump is still trying to confront China and bring China to the negotiating table uh, so that they'll <clears throat> agree to play fairly uh, in the world stage. Um, they haven't been playing fairly for decades. Um, and as a result of that, they've uh, been able to accumulate large amounts of wealth at the expense of other countries. Uh, so President Trump is trying to force them back to the bargaining table. Now, his tactics have worked with other countries. Mexico and Canada have come up with a new deal. Uh, South Korea has come up with a new deal. India and China are negotiating new trade pacts. So they, uh, Trump's tactic of using tariffs to bring uh, trading partners to the table is is working. <clears throat> a little bit of short-term pain, mostly for the agricultural industry, uh, because China retaliates and puts tariffs on our products, uh, which makes them more expensive, and uh, as a result, there's less being sold. Uh, so there's some short-term pain. Uh, President tries to minimize that by uh, offering some aid packages. Um, but I think in the long term, this will turn out to be very positive. We'll get a better 
trade agreement with uh, China that will open um, Chinese markets to U.S. manufacturers on a, a more fair basis. Um, so that's all going to turn out to be good. The problem is the stock market uh, is not sure how long this is going to last and how bitter the uh, trade war is going to get. Um, so when China uh, devalued their currency yesterday and allowed it to fall to, um, I think, the lowest uh, level it's been in about a decade, uh, the result of that, they feel, of course, will make their goods cheaper uh, for the U.S., and that will offset some of the uh, tariff. Um, the stock market's afraid that's gonna, uh, that Trump will retaliate, which is likely to do, uh, and could set off a trade war, and they're afraid of the negative consequences of that. I'm really not that concerned um, about that, because as the trade war with China uh, continues and China retaliates, um, because of the uncertainty that that brings, a lot of American companies are starting to take manufacturing out of China and bringing it uh, to other countries. Some uh, Vietnam and Thailand are very easy for these companies. Uh, many are coming back to the U.S. and setting up capital-intensive manufacturing uh, rather than using labor-intensive in, in China. Uh, so we, we have the ability to uh, produce the goods that China has been producing for us. So I'm not that concerned about what China is, is doing. Um, on the other hand, China should be very, very concerned. They need us far more than we need them. Their economy depends on uh, selling their output uh, internationally, mostly to the U.S. Uh, their growth has, which has been phenomenal for more than a decade, uh, is slowing down considerably. And one of the negative side effects of putting this, of uh, devaluating the currency, uh, rather, is that uh, foreign goods become very costly to Chinese. Now, China doesn't have the uh, capability to completely feed its entire population. As a result of that, they buy a lot of food and other agricultural products from the U.S. and, and other countries. Well, now those products will be more expensive for the Chinese consumer, um, and that's going to put, some, uh, uh, put them in a difficult situation. They don't get paid much. And that low labor uh, wage rate is what attracts uh, manufacturers to China. But if they're not getting paid much and the cost of food is going up significantly, uh, it's going to cause some, some problems. So I think all this will bring China to the table. We'll eventually come up with a good agreement. The stock market will like it. And once the agreement happens, I think the stock market will take off. And is it fair, I mean, is it fair to say that this, this situation has, uh, you know, t you know, been a lot more difficult on China, and it's affected China a lot more than it's affected the U.S. Absolutely, China is hurting by this. The impact on the U.S. has been minimal. Um, look, when you put a, a tariff on product, it adds to the cost of the product. Now, the question is, what happens to that added cost? Does it get passed on to consumers, or? Um, does the manufacturer have to absorb it? Uh, so far, uh, because inflation is extremely low, most of the uh, increased cost of uh, the, the resulting from the tariff has not been passed on to consumers, and the manufacturers, mostly in China, uh, have had to absorb it. So it hasn't had much of a negative impact on us. 
Now, it has had a negative impact on our agricultural industry. Because again, China's uh, retaliating by not buying as much American products, uh, mostly agricultural, and that, that hurts. Um, but Trump has minimized the effect of that by providing aid to the farmers, not as much as they would have earned in a good selling season, selling to uh, China, but still enough to soften the blow and to keep this uh, keep them afloat, at least for the time being, until um, a, an agreement is uh, negotiated. As for China, this is hurting China. They have had this high growth, uh, high growth rate. They've used a lot of debt to finance their growth. And when you have a lot of debt, you need high income to be able to cover the, the debt. Well, when their economy starts to slow down and incomes are going down, they're going to have a tough time uh, carrying all that debt. Um, and I think uh, this will force them to the, the table. And as I said, I think we'll end up with a, uh, an agreement with them, hopefully sooner rather than later. And what, I mean, what do you think, how long, I mean, if you had to give an estimate, mm-hmm. how long do you think until there'll be something in place? Well, this is, this is a very difficult Part. I, I didn't think it would go on this long. Indeed, last April, I thought we had a deal. China had pretty much agreed to everything. Uh, we had uh, given some concessions, too, but we were willing to go along with the deal. And then at the last minute, they decided they didn't want to do it, and uh, they wanted to change things. Um, now, Trump said to them back then, I want a deal by May 1st. We thought we had one. They, they uh, backed out essentially at the end. Trump said, look, I'll give you until September 1st to come up with a deal. Otherwise, I'm going to put tariffs on the remaining $300 billion worth of uh, goods that are exported into the U.S. Well, we're getting close to September 1st. There's no deal. So Trump said, I'm going to put the uh, tariffs on. China retaliated by reducing the – by devaluing their currency – I think Trump will retaliate to that by saying on September 1st or October 1st, the tariffs go up to 25%. Um, And once that happens, I think that will be very crippling to to China. And I think they're going to have to uh, come to the table more seriously to come up with an uh, agreement. So if that happens, maybe by the end of the year, we'll have some kind of an agreement. The variable is uh, you don't know how tough China is going to be with this. And, you know, China would uh, starve their people. Um, and uh, if it meant that they could, they thought, get a, a better deal out of the U.S. So they take some uh, actions that uh, more rational people may not uh, take. So if they do that, this thing could drag out um, longer. Um, I'm hoping that in September next month, when uh, tariffs go on and it puts more pressure on China that they get a little more serious about negotiating and maybe we can get a deal by the end of the year. But again, there's so many variables. It's really hard to say how long this is going to last. So you would say by the end of the year? I'd say we have a good possibility. Uh, if after September 1st and the tariffs go on, uh, it starts to cause China more pain and they get a little more serious. Uh, it's possible by the end of the year. I have a feeling it'll uh, last a little bit longer than that. Most um, experts are predicting at least a year or two. 
until this thing is uh, resolved. So it could be as short as three, four months. It could be as long as a year or two. Uh, There's just no way of knowing. We've never negotiated like this with China in in the past. So it's hard to tell what's going to come about and even harder to tell how long it's going to take until we come up with a deal. Yeah, yeah, very very well said. And, you know, I want to ask you, uh, you know, we see all the idiocy idiocy and just complete ignorance and just delusions from the left on on their economic policies. And, you know, I'll give you some examples. I mean, they, they want to they want to do universal based income, you know, for some of some of the candidates want to do that. And they they want to expand all these different terrible programs and look at how much they're pushing minimum wage. And now New York City that went into effect and now New York City is struggling uh, they're laying people off because uh, obviously when a business owner, when that's, when that is put on a business owner that minimum wage is raised, it makes them hire less people because they want to profit. They, they, they don't want to pay all their money to employees. I mean, this is what happens. The Democrats are so wrong on this message because, you know, they're trying to tell their supporters, well, you know, you know, we, they can, they can, they should live, they should make an earning living wage, but these jobs, are not meant for that. Flipping burgers is not meant to have $15 an hour. Let's just face the facts. I mean, uh, you know, those are right. supposed to be entry-level jobs. And I just, I don't like, uh, you know, what, what the mindset, what the mindset is of these leftist voters. I mean, they have everything backwards. Yeah. You know, Rory, you're, you're right. Uh, on uh, a number of points there, raising the minimum wage, uh, as you clearly point out, would be disastrous um, and you'd be hurting just the people you're trying to help. And you're right. It would eliminate millions of jobs. It's relatively easy to see why. Uh, yeah, the, the, the profit motive is there. And as a result of that, um, companies will look to replace their labor with capital. In other words, um, you go into a McDonald's and uh, um, somebody takes your order uh, somebody else takes your money and uh, uh, you pay them for it, and somebody makes makes the burgers. Well, as long as people are being paid minimum wage, it'll work like that. Once it goes up to fifteen dollars an hour, now fifteen dollars an hour is over thirty thousand dollars a year. You add in what the employees have to pay for Social Security and their share of Medicare, it goes up to almost thirty-five thousand dollars a year to ha- hire somebody who has absolutely no skills at all. That's when a, a minimum wage worker has no skills. That's why they work for the minimum wage. So when you ask business to pay 35000 have a labor cost of 35000 a year, to hire somebody who really can't do anything and you have to train, there's not going to be many jobs for them. So what will happen is McDonald's will say, you, you know, there, there are touchscreens uh, where people can order uh, their menu on a touchscreen um, and they can pay right there on the touchscreen. Now, the touchscreen is fairly expensive. It's an investment in capital. But when labor's wage rates go up to where it costs me over $30,000, $35,000 to hire a worker, it's much cheaper to use the touchscreens. And as a result, the touchscreens come in, workers lose their job, it creates un- unemployment. That happens in all kinds of manufacturing, too. Uh, look, it happened in the auto industry. They pushed automobile yeah. wage rates up so high. If they got get over their labor cost is now up to sixty dollars an an hour, 
That's gone down since the uh, last recession. But it peaked at $60 an hour. As a result, they started to look for other ways to make cars, and now we make them using robots on an assembly line rather, rather than people. So as wages went way up, the number of jobs available uh, went down. You're not helping anybody by paying them more than they're worth. The way our system works, you get paid according to the value of your output. So if you contribute more, you get paid more. The, the problem with giving people a raise and them not doing anything more for it, which is what raising a minimum wage does, is that it yeah. reduces incentives for people to work any harder. If you go, well, I'm entitled right. to a raise without doing anything more, I don't have to do anything more, that slows down economic growth, um, increases labor costs, and causes uh, all kinds of problems. Minimum wage is a bad idea. Universal basic, yeah. basic income is also a, a terrible idea. Uh, we need to go more toward that libertarian argument and away from this big government argument. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Very well said. And, you know, I want to ask you, you know, it was announced last week that the Fed has lowered interest rates. Uh, it, you know, talk about that a little bit. What, what are your thoughts on that? And obviously it's yeah. pretty damn good considering there's no inflation. I mean, and I mean, yeah. we're, we're seeing numbers like never, like never before. I mean, this is unbelievable, but go ahead. Yeah. So um, President Trump got into office and his primary, his number one priority was to stimulate economic growth. He got rid of regulations. He got taxes cut. The economy started to grow. Then the Federal Reserve raised interest rates eight times between President uh, Trump's election and the end of 2018, eight times. Now, granted, interest rates were near zero, and they needed to go up. That's true. But they didn't have to go up this fast. And by doing that, what could have been a real economic boom, remember last year at this time, we're talking about getting 4% growth rates or more. What turned into yeah. a, an economic, could have been an economic boom, turned into just pretty good growth. <clears throat> so the Federal Reserve recognized that they've made a, they made a mistake. They shouldn't have raised them that quickly. They want to reverse the mistake. They uh, dropped interest rates by a quarter of a point. In my opinion, they should have dropped interest rates by about half a point. That would have got the economic growth back on track. And they wouldn't have to do this again. Now they dropped it only a quarter. It I don't think will be enough to stimulate enough growth. And you'll see probably in September them drop the interest rates another quarter point. And that should be about where uh, is a good point to uh, keep the economy going, keep it growing, and still have the Federal Reserve uh, have interest rates at a point where if they have to move in either direction, they they can do that. So they made a mistake raising them way too fast in 2018, especially. They've reversed that. They'll bring them down again. Um, they're not going to look to raise interest rates for any time in the near future. Um, and they're focusing now on growth. And as you point out, we have very uh, low inflation. That's for a couple of reasons. Even though wages are going up, because the tax cut um, increased capital formation, by giving a tax cut to corporations and the wealthy as, as well as the middle class, because we created the capital, um, businesses are making investment and productivity is increasing. So although wages are up about 3.1% year over year, productivity is up 3.6%. Uh, 
So as a result of that, um, the uh, wages go up, but they're producing more than the wage increase. So labor costs are not going up. There's no wage in, um, inflation. Also, the uh, tax cut was what we call a supply side tax cut. And as a result, any increase in demand is met by increases in output rather than increases in, in prices. So inflation, as you point out, remains very moderate. The Federal Reserve lowered the interest rates. I think they're going to lower them again in September, another quarter point. And I think that's about at the level uh, that they can be comfortable with and that will allow the economy to grow. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I also uh, want to mention um, – well, actually, I, I, I'm just looking at how much time we have. Um, real quick, if you could please explain uh, your thoughts on the budget deal that Trump just recently signed. Yeah. Last so yeah. Um, the budget deal uh, increases the deficit uh, by about $320 billion, and that gets all of us extremely upset. Um, look, that you can't continue to deficit spend and run up this public debt for a zillion reasons uh, that we can easily talk about, but you, we just can't do that. So we have to get closer to balancing the budget, and this President Trump said he would do that, and this budget deal makes things worse. However, um, it is a deal that President Trump had to sign, and the reason mm -hmm. is this. Um, to reduce the budget deficit, we're going to have to get government spending down. We're not going to raise taxes. That's counterproductive. But we have to get spending down. The problem is uh, it's very difficult to do that, especially coming into an election year. And the reason is the federal government will spend $4.4 trillion this year. Of that total, $2.7 trillion, a little over 60%, is for entitlement programs, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Politically, you, we're going to have to address that at some point. But politically, you can't address that during an election year. Um, so that's six, over 60% of the budget is very difficult uh, during election year, maybe impossible to touch. Another 10% of the budget goes to cover interest on the public debt, which we obviously have to pay. So the total of those two is 72% uh, of the budget is very difficult to touch. Now you have the last 28%, roughly a trillion and a half dollars. About half of that is for defense spending, and half of that is for everything else, all other domestic programs. Now, the uh, Democrats control the House of Representatives. Uh, President Trump said, look, we have to increase military spending by at least $75, $80 billion a year for the next two years because the prior administration decimated the military and we're, we'll be lucky to be able to fight uh, two wars if they break out, which is always our goal. So we needed to right. uh, increase um, government spending uh, for the, the military. The democratically controlled House said you're not increasing the spending in military unless you increase spending on domestic programs. So they agreed to about a $75, $80 billion annual increase in defense spending for two years, about a $65, $70 billion increase in domestic spending for uh, two years. It avoids any government shutdown. It avoids any government budget battle, which the Republicans always seem to come out on the short end. It avoids all that until right. after the 2020 election. 
President Trump believes he'll be reelected in 2020, he'll be able to regain a majority in the House, build the majority in the Senate, and then at that time we can ta- tackle government spending, which will mean the entitlement programs, uh, but he'll be able to do it after the election, and I think that's why he signed the deal. Yeah, absolutely. Very well said, as always. And Dr. Bustler, please tell everybody where they can find you. So my Twitter is at mbustler. That's at M-B-U-S-L-E-R. If you're on your Facebook page, um, I have a, a search for Funding Democracy. My page is Funding Democracy, the Economics of Freedom. Go on Facebook, just search Funding Democracy, and you'll see me. Sounds good, Dr. Bustler. Always a pleasure, and we'll have you back soon. Thank you. Take care. IQ, uh, please tell everybody where they can connect with you. All they have to do is Google my name, Al-Rasuli, A-L-R-A-S-S-O-L-I. God bless you. Fantastic talk today. Thank you, my friend, and we'll, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. No problem. Kevin, uh, please tell everybody where they can connect with you. Uh, yeah, find me on Nationalist United on social media or nationalistunited.com. And Dr. Butler is 100% correct on policy points, just as we predicted and uh, advocated for, so I hope we stay the course. Great show, Rory. Thank you, my friend. We'll see you Thursday. It's been a uh, a fantastic show tonight. Um, you know, I want to I wanna thank my audience, my guests, my co-hosts and sponsors. You are all fantastic. Um, we got so much established tonight. Perfect flow, amazing rhythm, excellent dialogue, everything you could want in a show. I will see you all on Thursday night. Uh, a, lot, a lot to get into on Thursday. Big show planned. And I, I can't wait to share it with all of you. I will see you all then. And uh, I, I also have some announcements as well. So I'm Rory Sodder. Have a great night, everybody. Mega, mega, mega. God bless. Cheers. <laughs>